0: What's up guys? Welcome back to the Glory UGA podcast. I'm Tyler and with me on the other end of the line as he is, I don't know if I can say each and every show, but just about every show is my man Curtis, my co-host there on the other end of the line. And in today's show we are going to empty out the listener mailbag. We didn't get a chance to record a mailbag show last week because we had a few things come with our schedule. Uh, Kurt had a couple things, I had a couple things, we just couldn't quite get together and get it done. So we didn't want to let you guys down two weeks in a row, so we have two weeks worth of questions to get to today. It's a bye week so there's not a ton of, uh, obviously, game week stuff to talk about, like we would in normal week previews and all that kind of stuff. So it's a perfect time to have a little bit of an elongated mailbag show here today. But first, uh, just a couple quick business items for you guys. If you're not following us on Twitter, you can definitely can. If you're new to the show, you can find us... On Twitter at GloryUGA. We really do enjoy the interaction with you guys and just hearing your thoughts on everything uh, from the team to our show, whatever it is. We love that interaction. So feel free, do not be shy, to contact us there. Uh, if email is a little easier for you, you can also check us out there. Uh, I guess email us there at uh, the uh, GloryUGA Podcast at gmail.com. GloryUGA Podcast at gmail.com. Uh, and you can also check out our GloryUGA Podcast Facebook page. And for some of our newer listeners, uh, if you're not quite too familiar with the show, obviously you listen to us somewhere, but um, there's a couple places you can check us out They might be a little easier for you. You can check us out on dogsportsradio.com where we got started a couple years back. You can also check us out on the iTunes and SoundCloud, those big podcasting platforms. You can also check us out on the Stitcher and TuneIn apps as well. So hopefully one of those is pretty seamless for you and works well for you guys. All right, we have a lot of questions to get to today. As And as, as is always the case, we've got a lot of very good questions to get to today. So let's go ahead and open up the Week 8 Listener Mailbag. Got a nice mix here. we got some team questions, some recruiting questions. We'll get to all of it here. Do our best at least. All right, first question is from B4Real on Twitter. B4Real asks, if fans quit hating on Eason, couldn't Kirby convince him to stay For the competition in 2018 and then transfer as a grad transfer if he's unhappy after next year. Uh, Be for real and I had a a nice conversation about this last week. So, Kerr, I'm interested to get your take on that.
1: Honestly, no. I think he's gone. Um, You know, I'd actually said to you I wouldn't be shocked if he had left before Thursday, October 19th um, of this year. I wouldn't be shocked. But
0: Why is that date the number? Uh, because
1: Thursday is the withdrawal deadline at the University of Georgia, so, um, if he was to withdraw before that deadline and then just leave the school, then he could, it would count as being, you know, being done with the school. Right. And, and the only reason I say year. that is because, you know, the groundwork was laid by the two people at the University of Alabama that did it and then were able to be eligible this year. It
0: was Bateman and, um, um, uh, Blake, uh, Barnett, right? Yeah, Blake Barnett. Yeah.
1: Both of them did that, so, and I could see him easily doing that, just because I, you know, I mean, I know everyone's gonna come with a team argument, but in the same time, you know, you don't work eighteen, you know, work all all the way up to here to sit the bench and then lose a year of your uh, career. Where if he was to go ahead and leave, he would be able to play quicker and possibly try to get himself back on track to get into the NFL. Yeah,
0: I, th- I think that's a really good take on it. Like I would say, anything is possible. Is it possible that he, that Kirby, can convince him to stay for the competition eighteen to fight for his job back and kind of try to reclaim that? Sure, that's possible. Anything's possible. But I would also uh, like to say that in this day and age, quarterbacks typically don't stick around, especially five-star, mega-star recruits like J. B. Son. They normally don't stick around to try to win back jobs that they have lost, no matter what their circumstances are. It's just too risky. And I know, like, why is it risky? Well. It's risky because you could potentially be wasting a year of eligibility. You, I mean you really could and, and I totally get what B for real is saying here like if, if Easton transfers after uh, right now if he transfers after the 2017 season, he's gonna have to sit somewhere next year regardless. so why not give it a shot to win back your job in 2018? And then if it doesn't work out, if you don't win it back, then just transfer as a graduate transfer for the 19th season, which which means you can be eligible to play right away. I totally get that, but there's a couple of potential roadblocks in the way there. First off, do we know for sure that Easton's on track to graduate after three years and be a grad transfer? Do we know that for sure? Um, no, we don't, honestly. I mean, he he might well be. I mean, I know these guys mostly take summer classes and whatnot, but we don't know for sure that he's on track to graduate after three years. So he'd be here 16, 17, 18, and then he'd be a graduate transfer going into the 19th season. We, but that's but that's possible. We really don't know that where he is credit-wise. I'm sure he's doing fine academically. I'm not suggesting otherwise. But you, you got to be kind of accelerated to graduate in three years. So I don't know if that's even a possibility for him at this point. And uh, he he would have to sit a, a year next year if he transfers. Okay, that's true. And I, and I know I, so I see kind of what Beef is getting at there. But even though he'd have to sit next year if he transfers after this year, wherever he goes, he'd have to sit. Even even though that's the case, he would also gain a year learning that system, whatever team he potentially transfers to if he does decide to transfer. We don't know that for sure, but if he does by transferring after the, after this season. He could get into their system, learn that system, and also establish himself among his new teammates, kind of laid the groundwork for being a leader moving forward. I do think there's a benefit in getting in there a year early into that program, getting yourself established, even if you can't play next year, so... If I, if I had to guess, and it's just a guess right now. It's an educated guess, I guess. But it's just a guess right now. We don't know what's going on in Jacob Eason's head. We don't even really actually know how this season's going to play out. Right now, it looks like Jake Fromm's the guy moving forward. But, he, I mean, knock on wood, he could get hurt. Uh, maybe plays one of these better defenses, and he just completely bombs. And we got to get Eason there and try to bring us back. I mean, anything's possible. I hope that doesn't happen because I want us to be doing well. I want to cheer for the guy who's, who's who's doing well right now, leading this team to a 7-0 record. Um, but you just don't know... Now, I would I would probably bet right now he's going to transfer after next year if I had to make a guess. It is a guess, but I'd probably guess he would. And if that's the case, I think there's a benefit in getting there a year early, right? Yeah. I think so. All right, next question here. Uh, this is from John R. in a couple different Johns. This is John R. sending a question. Appreciate it, John. Uh, and John says, Smart said he doesn't prepare ahead for game weeks. Uh, or he doesn't prepare, he does not prepare ahead for games weeks out because players lose focus. How does he mitigate that using a bye week? It's a fair question, Kurt. Um,
1: so the bye week, I think the bye week is more or less trying to get players healthy, not you know, because. Yeah, I don't know how much people have been paying attention, but our practices have been high-tempo, um, high-stress environments, you know, a lot of screaming, a lot of moving parts going on. To, I think this week they kind of go back to a preseason workout where it's more fundamentals, you know, working on the small things that the coaches think they need to fix on, while also implementing a little game plan for the next week. But I think it's more or less trying to get back to the fundamentals and, and honestly just keeping trying to get players healthy and not get them injured with, while also keeping them in
0: the flow of things. Yeah, that's fair. And didn't you love it when Curry Kirby said this is this is not a bye week, it's a work week.
1: Yeah, I do because, I mean, it just, it just
0: shows what type of coach he is. It, it's, it's just the latest example of the change in mindset in this program. And no offense to our former staff and former head coach. I love Mark. I love him to death. I'm thrilled that he's having a great year. But we needed a change in mindset. We needed a, a new culture in here. And that's just the latest example of, of what he's brought to the table here as, as a new head coach. Uh, look, man, I – okay. So yes, Kirby says he doesn't prepare ahead for games weeks out. What that, what I take that to mean is that he doesn't have the players repping for a different team, and 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 you don't start implementing the game plan with the players weeks out. You focus, you have them focus on the task at hand. But that does not mean that the coaches, and more importantly, the support staff, who are or the guys who work behind the scenes, and and game plan out, and they, they scout teams out way in advance and kind of give the scouting reports to the coaches. Those guys are doing that work. The the, the support staff, the the coaches and the, them, themselves, the position coaches, they are, they are preparing for games weeks out, but they're just not kind of feeding that to the players yet. They, they make sure the players are focusing on what's going on this week. Uh, so I'm with you. I think the bye week is all about fundamentals and just kind of getting better that way. But I do think uh, – Really, the benefit of the bye week is, yes, you can you can prepare for your opponent a little bit better, but that doesn't always mean your players have to be prepping. It's the coaches get more time to break your opponent down and prepare a game plan. It's just a more comprehensive game plan. You have more time to refine it and go over it. And, yes, we'll probably start feeding it some to our players late in the week, uh, probably Thursday or so, feeding them small bits and meetings, things like that. But we probably won't really be repping it too much until next week. But that bye week does help you prepare for a team because coaches – and support staff look ahead and are able to kind of refine that game plan. All right, next question here is from David. Uh, David asked a good question. What adjustments did the defense make in the second half against Missouri to have so much success, specifically in the secondary? Kurt, how would you answer that? Um,
1: well, there's two things we did. We went – at first, you're trying to go a little man-to-man with also just a one deep safety. And towards after you know the two long touchdowns, we went to more of a two deep safety look. While also with our safeties, like I said in the last show, we started playing them with more width and playing them more towards the edges of the, the sides of the field. And by doing so, we were forcing their guys. We we're trying. We were forcing them almost to go inside up in the middle of the field instead of where they're beating us on the outside. And doing so, you know, as you saw a lot of your lots passes towards the, the end of the game and in the second half things, were sailing out of bounds because we were pushing their wide receivers to the to the boundaries yeah. and doing so not giving him clear lanes and, you know, oh, that's really the only place he had to go with the ball, to go inside. the side, it's picked.
0: Yeah, I think you're talking about the leverage our cornerbacks are playing with. We did a much better job of playing with outside leverage, forcing the guys to the to the inside of the defense. We have everybody circulating there, so you're exactly right uh, in, in that regard, but I I mean, and you're right. We did change a few things up, but I I really don't think that we changed all that much defensively. I think really the, the thing that we did is just execute better. We didn't. I don't think we changed our coverage schemes all that much because uh, there there wasn't anything wrong with what we were running. We were just making mental mistakes. I mean, I laid it out in the in the recap show. The three long touchdowns they hit: uh, two to Manuel Hall, one to the tight end. Those were all three mental mistakes, okay? Guys just made mistakes in coverage. They, kind of, they basically blew the coverage. It wasn't that we got beat physically. It wasn't there's was anything wrong with the coverage. If they play the coverage right, you're in a perfect position to make a play. We just didn't play the coverages correctly. So we kind of made some mental mistakes that we haven't really been making to this point this year, and, and they made us pay for it, and we just did a better job of executing, and maintaining focus, and we did make a few minor adjustments, like you mentioned, but it wasn't anything uh, like a, like a massive overhaul of what we were doing coverage wise. Because basically, what we do defensively is we run a pretty complex cover three match coverage. Cover uh, is basically it's a uh, it's a coverage that Kirby's been running for years, going back to his days at Alabama. It's kind of a flexible hybrid man zone coverage. It's pattern matching. Uh, basically, you guys are playing zone for the most part, until a guy comes into their zone and guys in their zone, they're playing man on them. So it's kind of that flexible hybrid man zone coverage that it kind of helps to simultaneously defend the vertical routes on the outside because when they go, when the receiver releases outside and goes vertical, then we convert our defense on... We convert our cornerback's coverage to man, but if, if our cornerback's read an inside release by the wide receiver we, we have a zone coverage on the inside there and we're able to kind of simultaneously handle both types of, of routes there so we that's kind of what we do that, that's pretty much what we do and there's some variations we can do like you said you can try to keep two safeties deep a little bit more uh, but we just started to execute that better and and we pretty much them down except for that one touchdown late at, late in the game there in the second half uh, all right next question this was from john p not john r this is john p so john p appreciate it man uh and this is not so much a question as it is just a statement i kind of want to get our reaction on he said i don't know if it's too late but i'd like to give a shout out to javon wims for some crucial blocks that broke some runs free so kurt did you see a lot of that
1: yeah I mean the one that really sticks to my mind is I don't know if it's designed to play or the way it was drawn up or what but the one where Terry Godwin catches it on the inside when they're in trips and then you know right away cuts back and goes right. and almost takes like a half loop around Javon Wims who was pinning yeah. the guy Yeah, um, that one really stands out to me
0: yeah absolutely and uh, that that was a big one for sure Wims has been a physical force on the outside all year in the in the run game. He really has. I think it was one of the he's things. He's been a physical force in
1: all aspects. Let's be
0: honest. He has. Yeah, going up, getting the ball at the top of the route in the blocking game. I think that was one of the things that he had trouble with last year because he's he's got obviously the size to do that. He's got the body size to to handle. Blocking out there on the perimeter. I, I just don't know if it was something that he was quite used to. His technique wasn't necessarily great last year. Uh, but this year he's been an absolute force out there. Blocking for whether it's his fellow receivers. Running backs. I mean you guys know. like When a running back springs one of these long plays. Like a, a 50, 60, 70 whatever yard run. Yeah the line has to obviously get them to the second level. That's the line's job then it's the job of the running back to make a guy in space miss. But then once you get to that third level, the receivers, if, you have, if you're going to have a play spring for a, for a long one, you've got to have receivers walking downfield. And, and and he's been very, very, very crucial in that regard. I absolutely agree with John P. here in that assessment. All right, next question. Ben, my man Ben, uh, sent us a couple questions. And no worries, Ben, man. We keep them coming. We love to answer anything and everything you got to throw our way. So Ben first asks, since everyone thought 2019 would be our year to compete for a championship and not this year, how good will this team look come August? I don't know if Ben was a typo and he meant to say everyone thought 2018 would be our year to compete for a championship. But regardless, um, how, how do you think this team is going to look come August? No, I was really thinking this would be – or very few people were thinking this would be the year. But it looks like, you know, obviously we're off to a fantastic start. Got a lot of ball to play, but off to a fantastic start. But how will this team look next August, Kirk? Could we potentially be better?
1: I think we'll be a lot better. I mean, I think we'll be losing, yes, we'll be losing some senior leadership, which I think has really helped us. But at the same time, while we are good this year, we're also an aspect of the, SEC not being as good as it has been the last couple of years, um, and which has really played into us. Um, I think we're a lot better team, but at the same time, I don't think we're as good as what the future holds for us. Um, I don't I think the
0: think middle like, is as good. Is that fair to say? I think the top is still really good, but the middle. Oh yeah, the
1: top, but you have like Tennessee who's down. Right. Um, Florida's not going to be as good as they have been the last couple of years. You know, teams like that. Who okay. have really, Yeah. Yeah, teams like that who have challenged us or challenged other teams aren't as good as they have been. But next year, I think even if some teams improve, we'll still be a lot better um Right now, you've seen it with these teams struggling. Not only has it helped us on the field, but it's helped us in recruiting to pass them over. That while, while we're going to, like I said, we'll lose some of these senior leaders and things, we're going to replace them with what Kirby's actually wanting, what we've been building. You're seeing it a little bit now, but across the board, there's going to be quality depth. I mean, you're seeing it in the, sa- the secondary right now. I mean, you should have LeCount and Gibbs pl- sitting, but they're also creating depth and you know competition up there. And what, to come this time next year, every position will be two and three deep with a lot of competition.
0: Yeah, I, I think that's a really fair assessment. I, I would say what you are going to see next year is we're going to be trading. I mean, the guys that we have playing defense this year are talented guys, but I think we're going to trade experience for more talent next year. We're going to have some young guys with a lot less experience, but I think overall they're going to have more talent defensively. Now, a guy like Roquan Smith of Healy, who's going to be tough to replace him. But guys like Dom Sanders, Aaron Davis, those guys are, are really good players. Malcolm Parrish has been really good players for us, and, the, and their experience and leadership is invaluable. But we're going to be replacing that with – Guys, I I, I think. I, do you agree? You have more talent?
1: Um, you know, in a nice way, yeah, I do. I, well, I think Dom's has been a great four-year starter for us. I mean,
0: which is a talented, more talented player?
1: Yeah, exactly. Talent-wise, I mean, Aaron Davis and all of them. I mean, they're just not as talented as some of these guys ahead
0: of them. Yeah, Aaron Davis has been a really good player for us, but D'Angelo Gibbs, long-term talent-wise, I think has more God-given athletic ability. Now, what? I mean, what that? Even
1: Parish and uh, Tyreek
0: McGee. Uh, I mean, Tyree I mean, Tyre, Tyre McGee's yeah, already kind of replaced Malcolm Perry. Yeah,
1: well, I mean, even McGee, though, I mean, he's a solid player. But let's be honest, when someone like Amir Speed starts getting the uh, the experience that, like, McGee and them have, right, I, defense I, it's going to be hard to hold him off with his length and his size
0: and with, because he's exactly what the coaches want. Yeah, yeah. I, I think you're, you're on target there. But I will say, and you touched on this, but I, I just want to emphasize again, I don't think we should underestimate the value of having so much experience on defense. I mean, particularly in the back end. I, I know those guys aren't as talented, maybe, as some of the guys that are young right now that will be playing in the next couple of years. But I, I really believe that one of the reasons we had such a rough time at times last year defensively was because our secondary had just simply not fully grasped Kirby's, I mean, in my opinion, pretty intricate pattern match coverage scheme. And our front seven was just not as disciplined, playing with the correct leverage, maintaining gap integrity. That just wasn't the case. But now, uh, with... With a year in the system, I, I definitely think our secondaries really started to grasp this pattern match coverage. I think our our defensive line is playing with much better leverage, maintaining gap integrity much more consistently. Uh, and I know people just just expect our defense to continue to be great because we finally figured it out this year. And we have a lot of talent in the in the in the hopper there ready to to just explode in this scene. And I, and I and I agree we have some very talented young guys, but let's just be careful. Those guys do have very low experience.
1: Here's one thing I do want to point out though. Um, across the board on both sides offense and defense one thing that's really changed and you know I didn't really realize until a couple weeks ago when Nick Chubb made this statement but for a lot of these players this is the first time for them having a coach two years in a row at their position
0: that's another key point man That's that's that's
1: I, I mean, Jim Ch- yeah. uh, since since Chubb's gotten here, he's had Bobo, um, then he has Schottenheimer, now he's had Chaney, and he's finally in year two under Chaney. And some of these other guys, even though they're young guys, they'll be in year two of their system, and that's when you see players jump is year two under their coaching. And that's also one thing that's held some of our players back is they've had no consistent coaching. I mean, I Good know point. someone in particular, some guys like James Deloge, who last year, I've heard him say that he had four different uh, – or three or four different defensive line coaches.
0: Yeah, I mean, that – you're right. That kind of continuity is is so underrated. You need to have that. And I know college football is the nature of the beast. Coaches are going to leave. They're going to take – some of them get fired. Some of them take promotions, whatever it might be. Uh, they leave. But when you have a chance to have some continu- continuity in your coaching staff, it is a very, very valuable thing for a football team. I think you're spot on there. Uh, all right, let's move on to the next question. This is from G. G on Twitter asks, if we win this next game against Florida, is it time to celebrate the East? Oh, Kurt, I don't want to get out of ourselves, man. What do you say? No,
1: because even if we beat them, I think you'd have to get past South Carolina, too, if you wanted to actually start You think South
0: Carolina's that that next team in the SEC? Or the SEC well, East? no,
1: I just think it, it's numbers-wise.
0: Well, right now, it's Kentucky number right? They have one loss in the SEC. South Carolina's got two. Right? Well, yeah,
1: but I have the feeling that if you get past South Carolina, right. then all that's in your way exactly. is Auburn. So I do. I don't see Kentucky matching up with us.
0: So you see South, South Carolina basically giving us, being a bigger threat to us in Kentucky. Um,
1: yeah, because it's the timing of the game, also.
0: Yeah, man, that sandwich game between Florida and auburn is just rough. It's very, very rough. Hopefully, this team can handle that. Uh, look, man, I, on principle, I loathe the idea of getting ahead of ourselves, and I am. I, you, you guys know if you listen to me, listen to us regularly i am out of control superstitious and i very much believe in the power of the jinx so it's hard for me man because i i feel like when i get ahead of myself the team kind of like, like the team channels my mindset and they get ahead of themselves and then we're going to lose and it's just like i i know it makes no sense whatsoever like i there's i'm probably i'm sure there's no mystical force out there but it doesn't stop me from like feeling there is so i i'll i'll, I'll just say this if it's a big if, but if we beat Florida, and I know we're better than Florida. We'll get into Florida a lot in the next, next week and a half here. But, um, I, I mean, I just, I'm very nervous at this stage. I mean, it's been a while since we've been this good. I know we're a good football team, but I just, I get nervous, man. I get nervous. So if we beat Florida, we I, I do think that we should feel very, very good about our chances to be in Atlanta. And that, like, I'm cringing right now saying that because I, I feel like I'm jinxing the team. But I really believe if we beat Florida, we should feel very, very good. It's not a done deal. We still have three SEC games left after Florida, but we sh- we have put ourselves in very good position if we yeah, beat Florida.
1: It'll at least create some excitement. Uh, you know, it, it'll it'll justify
0: excitement. Yeah, I it'll think. have
1: that feeling where you know we beat some good teams, but once you beat Florida, if we beat them, then you're th- finally thinking, all right, this team is actually different.
0: Right, and then but then if you exhale, like okay, we beat Florida, then you got South Carolina right before Auburn, and that could sneak up on you if you're not ready to play. So. I just, I mean, I'm just, I hate getting ahead of ourselves. And I know we're having a great season. I know it looks good down the stretch, but it looked good for Oklahoma against Iowa State too. And I know that's a different team, different scenario. Just like anybody can be anybody on any given day. I truly believe that if you don't come to play, come to play. Now, if we come to play, like I've talked about the past couple weeks, we can beat everybody on our schedule. We should beat everybody on our schedule if we come to play. But you just don't know. Um, I also say, like, yes, we'll be in good position if we beat Florida, really good position. But we still have to beat Kentucky. But here's the thing. I, I don't know about you, Kurt, but I don't believe Kentucky's that good. Like I just don't. I, and I know they're they're five and one right now, but they've struggled to beat some lesser yeah. Southern Miss, Eastern they're, they're Michigan, Eastern very Kentucky. Inspiring five and one. Yeah, I mean, and, and I know we you know Missouri gave us a couple issues here and there uh, in, the, in the first half, but they they, I mean, I they struggled all games. I don't know we if I should say for, Missouri should have beaten Kentucky. Like
1: three, we struggled
0: on three plays. Yeah, they really. On like they they had almost half of their total yardage. Uh, a little bit less than half the total yards on two big pl- passing plays. Now, those passing plays count. They count. But they move the ball consistently on Kentucky. And Kentucky won that game by six points. It, it, it wouldn't be a stretch to say Missouri, in many ways, should have won that game. Could have won that game. Definitely could have won that game. Um, so, I mean, Kentucky's a solid team. But it's at home, and we should definitely beat them. I, don't, I just don't think they're that good. It's, you're right. It's an uninspiring 5-1 right now. Um, but, look, if we beat Florida, I think it's true, G., Um, it would probably take us losing out. We'd have to lose our last three conference games, South Carolina, Auburn, and Kentucky, to not make it to Atlanta. Because, I mean, Kentucky's still got to play Mississippi State. uh, This weekend, I think think Mississippi State's going to beat Kentucky. I don't know about you, but I think Mississippi State at home could handle Kentucky. I think they're a better football team. Kentucky's got Tennessee, and Tennessee's a train wreck, I know, but Tennessee always gives them trouble, usually wins that football game. So there's a couple of spots on that Kentucky schedule. I don't know if they're going to get through them. We'll see. We'll see. I got another question from G here. Appreciate it, G. Uh, G asks, was Zemir White enrolling early? So we got a recruiting question here. Was Zemir White enrolling early? Do you think he can become a day one starter next year? Kurt, what's your take, man? Honestly, no.
1: Um, well, I think he's going to be one of the guys. I mean, you didn't, you didn't even see Todd Gurley be a day one starter. Um, he was an early and starter in that, day the thing, one. I think yeah. while as good as Zeus may be, Swift is, in a, is really good.
0: Dude, DeAndre Swift is special.
1: That's what I'm saying. This guy's a special guy. It's not like he's just an afterthought. While I do think that Zeus will probably be number two ahead of Harry and/or Holyfield, if they're both or one of them still there, he should be ahead of them. But Swift is special in his own. He can do it all.
0: Is Deandre, I mean, I asked this question kind of off, you know off the cuff on Monday's show, but I mean, really, legitimately, is DeAndre Swift playing better when he gets opportunities than any running back on our roster right now?
1: Um, his yards per carry, I think, is better than any other guy. I.
0: I, I there's just – I don't know, man. Like I know we've got – I mean, Chubb and, and Michelle are, are, are special guys too, man. And you can't take carry, too many carries away from them. But I don't think it's beyond the pale. I don't think it's beyond the stretch of imagination to say DeAndre Swift might potentially be the best running back on this roster right now. The way he's, he's playing, playing. I think he's the most explosive. Yeah. I, I, and it's weird because – I mean, I don't think Swift is an absolute burner running the football, but he's so the quick. Thing about him his, his footwork His, and his change of, of direction – yeah, and he does it so quickly. He yeah, does not lose any speed. Right. He 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 cuts at full speed and, and you're right, does not lose any speed when he cuts, which is which is rare. Okay? When you when you have that, you got something special. Uh, and he's and he's obviously a threat with, with his hands out of the backfield as a receiver. So, I mean, the, the guy is special. So, look, it's yes, it's very possible Zamir White comes in and just blows everyone away and takes that job. It's very possible. And and White and Swift are different types of backs. But man, it's Zamir White's going to be ready to come, man. He's going to have to be ready to play if he wants to unseat DeAndre Swift. Now, I mean, I know DeAndre Swift doesn't have the job, but if he wants to take that job from DeAndre Swift, he better be something, man. And that, hey, I, I hope they're both awesome and they both have a great battle. But Swift, uh, he's special, man. And I, I don't know. I mean, White's really special at the high school level. I think he's going to be a very good player for us too, in, in in college next year and moving forward. But you just don't know until you see it, man. You just don't know until you see it the next level. And I, we've seen it from DeAndre already. Uh, next question from Ben. Uh, Ben's second question here. Ben asks, everyone is saying we should create packages for Justin Fields next year. So we got another recruiting question. Wouldn't it benefit us to redshirt him? Uh, because equal that would equal more years of A-plus quarterback play. So, Kurt, what's your take on that? Should we create packages for Fields or redshirt him next year?
1: Um, I think it really all depends on the, quarter, uh, even the numbers. I mean, if Easton does leave, then... When when he comes on board, you only have two scholarship quarterbacks. So how can you afford
0: right to bend? We'll be in th- the same scenario we we're coming into this year.
1: Yeah, exactly. And so if that if that happens, then how could you afford to resture him when, like we, like you just said, he could be one play away from being the, our guy.
0: Yeah, man. It's it's look. I, I totally understand it's, where Ben's coming from. I really get where he's coming from. Yeah, I
1: mean, in, in, in a perfect world, that would be the case. Yep. But as we saw this year, there is no perfect world. That's
0: exactly what I have in my notes here. Like in an ideal world. That, that's exactly what we'd have. we'd have we'd have Fromm for four years uh, Fields red shirts and as soon as Fromm's done he stays for a couple years until until he graduates that's an ideal world but we don't live in that world anymore when it comes to elite prospects these guys want to play early they do whatever they can to get on the field and also it's very rare for elite quarterback prospects which clearly Justin Fields is it's really rare for, and really any elite prospect anywhere on the field, for them to stay all four years now. We learned our lesson back years ago with Sean Moreno, right? Where yeah. we redshirted him and said, hey, you know, he's a good player, but we have the other backs right now, so maybe we can get four, get another year out of him. It's very rare that these guys stay four years to make a, or four to five years to, to make a redshirt worth it, especially a guy like Justin Fields. So I think if the guy can help us win on the field next year, I don't think you can count him staying five years to where a redshirt actually matters. So if if we think he can do something to help us on the field next year, whatever package that might be, I think we got to do it, right? Yeah. Because I mean, do you think he's gonna stay for five years? No. I I really, absolutely don't. I think he's too good of a prospect. I really, I mean, I think Fromm might stay for four years. I don't know what the NFL thinks about his size and uh, arm uh, arm strength. Although I think he has plenty, his arm is plenty strong enough. Uh, to get done for us, I just don't know what you know the measurables for for NFL scouts what they're looking at from. Well, I think he's a four year guy.
1: Sometimes he gets to the point where you can't hold off the guy behind you.
0: Yeah, man, I know that's true. I mean, we don't know that for sure either. How what's going to go down with the Fields From battle? We don't well, know I'm that. Saying, I mean, it
1: could it could be his junior year and Fields just at the point where he's better than him, and he, so you, you
0: right. go ahead and just or say, From, from get, like, I mean, knock on wood, gets hurt. I mean, you, you just don't know. We don't know what the you know, future holds. I just know if if I was the coach, which I'm not, uh, but if I was. If I feel like Justin Fields can help us next year in any way, I use him however I can to help us win football games. Just, you gotta win now. You gotta win now. Got to. All right, next question is from Jesse. Jesse, appreciate the question, man. Jesse asks, who do y'all think are the guys that are gonna follow Justin Fields to Athens? Sticking with the recruiting theme here, Kurt. So, who's on your radar there? Um, you know,
1: I got a couple, but one of the big ones right now is I think Luke Ford, who I think is probably yeah. one of the one of the two, two best tight ends in the nation. And then after that, um, you know, I think there were some guys that we had already kind of locked up, but it just made it that much more. And someone like Jamari Salier.
0: yeah, there's a couple of guys. Those are two that are definitely on my list here. I mean, Luke and I think Ford. It
1: maybe it gave us a chance at maybe a third receiver.
0: Potentially, is there a third receiver on your uh, on your radar there as you're looking at? I mean,
1: you just have to look around. I mean, the thing is, with some of these guys, um, you just never know. Maybe
0: was well, like Justin major Fields major. his uh, during his his press conference after his commitment. You know, and recruits often say these kind of things, but he said, I "Man, y'all have no idea what's coming," right? And it's like, okay, well, what does that mean? So I mean, we probably don't. We probably don't know who he's been talking to behind the scenes, who it might be influencing. There's a couple guys like Luke Ford, like you mentioned, is a guy that's that's stated publicly that he wants to play with Justin Fields. And Luke Ford, if <laughs> you guys don't know, is a six seven two fifty tight end out of Illinois, uh, who who's who was high on us before the the Justin Fields commitment. Now with that man, who knows that might I don't want to say it sealed the deal, but it's definitely put us in a really good spot for him, right?
1: Yeah, I mean, that, like you said, it's a two team race now between us and Bama for yeah. sure.
0: I think you're gonna see that more and more in the next couple of years. Two team race, Georgia, Alabama. Uh, I mean, I don't think Adam. I don't think he. I don't think Fields has much of an impact on a guy like Adam Anderson. But uh, Adam Anderson is a guy that's committing this week on Thursday, and I. Th- I feel like we're in a very good spot. I don't know if that's a direct result of Fields. I don't really think it is, but I think he's a guy that you see jump on more pretty soon here. You Mentioned Jamari Sawyer is a guy. We're I mean, getting a guy like Justin Fields. That's definitely a feather in our cap when it comes to trying to reel in Jamari Salier. James Cook, uh, running back out of Florida, brother of Dalvin Cook, the guy that's been really high on us. Maybe uh, I don't know how much communication has been between Cook and Fields, but you know it certainly doesn't hurt to have a guy like Fields with, with a uh, already on the commit list. With when, when you have a when you have a quarterback like that, the running backs look at that and say, "You know what? I want to play with that guy. We can be a dangerous offense." So I think all those guys could potentially help us with. Uh, all right, next one here from Reggie, uh, one of our loyal listeners. Appreciate it, Reggie. Uh, Reggie says, "Hey guys, remember my bowl prediction of two 500-yard wide receivers this year? I definitely remember that. Reggie's a good pick, man." Richard says, Godwin is right now at 369 yards and Wims is at 312 yards. Do you think they'll both make it?
1: More than likely, yeah, but um, the biggest thing is Godwin has to keep it up. His yards, it's not that he's catching it down the field, but he's more or less just making people miss him. He's that's working he's in the middle of the yards. field,
0: which is what we, you and I have been screaming about for yeah. years, right? That's, that's where Terry Godwin is most dangerous. He's elusive. He's shifty in space. He's a fluid athlete. You get in the ball in space, and he makes things happen. He's proved that all year long. All year long. I think the answer is absolutely, if they stay healthy. And, and it was Godwin's back at practice today I'm recording this on a Tuesday evening he's back at practice today he looks no worse for the wear there just a, a kind of precautionary thing with his ribs x-rays came back negative so that that's very good for us obviously right now if you look at the numbers and again you guys know I suck at math but if my math is correct Godwin's on pace if he keeps it up for 681 yards and, uh, receiving and Wins is on pace for 576 yards through 13 games Okay, that's through a 13-game schedule. There's a potential we could play more. I don't want to get ahead of myself. But there's a potential we could play more. So if they stay healthy and Fromm's going to continue to grow as a quarterback, hope I mean, we're going to play some better teams, but it might be throwing the ball a little bit more, giving them some more opportunities. So I think the answer is absolutely if they stay healthy for me. I, I, I think that's definitely going to happen. And Reggie, i got to give you props there, man. You were on it, dude. You were definitely on it. Uh, next question here from Cameron. Cameron asks, been hearing a lot about Fields. And how he might turn pro as a baseball player. Is there any truth to this? And if so, what the hell do we do if that's the case? So Kirk, um, do you see that happening?
1: It's always the case, but I think that's possible. The, yeah, I mean anything's possible, but I think right now there's he's really at first I think that may have been the it may have been a possibility, but right now it's really saying that he's pushing for uh, early enrolling and I think that was you know, push just as much ahead with from becoming the guy that there is more of a like, likelihood that Easton does transfer out, leaving us with only one quarterback for spring practice. So I think Kirby may be pushing behind the scenes trying to get him in here early.
0: Well, there's a couple of things here. So yes, uh, he he's, he does play baseball. feels does play baseball. He's a very good baseball player. Um, we don't know for sure if he's going to play his senior season. He, he, at his press conference, he was asked about that, and he said that it's something his family's got to talk about, and discuss, and decide amongst themselves. He's on track to enroll early if he wants to do that, but he could also choose to stay and play baseball for his senior year. Now, for me, it's a no-brainer. I think if you are serious about trying to win this quarterback job, then you need to come and get into this program as soon as humanly possible. I think that definitely helped Jake Fromm. If you want to compete with a guy like him, who's a who's a film junkie, a film rat kind of guy, you need to get in here and learn this system. If you want to put yourself on a, a even anything close to a level playing field in terms of knowing the system and, and understanding what to do at the quarterback position, I think he needs to come. It's a no-brainer but I'm not him and he has his own goals and his own thoughts so I mean that's totally up to him I can't tell him what to do it's totally his decision there but I will also say this Justin Fields is a really good baseball player he's not a pro caliber baseball player he's not well he's, he's, not he's a first round. right he's not good enough he's not the kind of player that's going to get drafted high enough out of high school to make it worth his while to go to go ahead and take that deal, he's not going to get a huge million, couple million dollars signing bonus to sign out of high school. He's not that kind of a baseball player. He's good. He could potentially get drafted in the later rounds, but I don't know if that's enough to make it worth his while to go ahead and go pro. So I think I do think he'll end up in in uh, in red and black next year. Maybe that's wishful thinking, but I think that's the case. Uh, next question here. Um, it's an interesting question. This is off uh, off the field of play here, off of the recruiting front as well. It's from John Boy. Thanks, John Boy. It's a good question, man. So it's, it's an important question too. something that drives me crazy. John Boy asks, "Do you have a problem with Georgia's drug policy? Do you think it should change to be more in line with other schools? And should there be a league-wide policy for all schools to follow?" That's a thorny question, Kerr. How would you How would you approach that one, man?
1: in an ideal world that is the case but no schools are going to you know they're not going to raise
0: their their punishment to our level they're not going to gonna not gonna come to us no because why would they that does nothing right. but hurt them we would have and to go so. down to them and we're not going to do that Exactly, and so their
1: schools aren't going to come up just because in yeah. I because it's not an ideal world. And schools want whatever advantage they can have. Yeah, they're I mean, not going like to make Florida, it
0: more strict for themselves.
1: Yeah, like because they're not they're dumb. All those times, I mean, I think it's Percy Harvin failed, like what twelve drug tests?
0: Yeah, and or the Honey Badger, LSU. I mean, yeah, all I mean, all these guys. That's
1: the thing; those guys are so good, and Michael they are playing on the field while we have to we have to you know suspend our players because they can't. How many and freaking so, times I mean, has
0: Antonio Callaway been in trouble? Exactly, I mean, it, it took committing a yeah. felony for him to actually see some serious suspension time.
1: Exactly, so that right there is first off is why there'll never be a league-wide policy, and second of all, do I think they should? Yes, because I think the thing is that the world has changed. I mean, that drug is—you know—while we may not think it's the hundred percent the right thing to do, talking about marijuana. Yeah, especially marijuana, which is what most of these players get in trouble with. The world is changing; it's starting to become legal. I mean, just in Atlanta in the last couple weeks, it has de- yeah, it's become decriminalized, where it's now just like a speeding ticket almost, a yeah. seventy-five dollar fine, and you're off. Right. And and that's the world we're living in. I mean, and let's be honest, quite a few. There's probably I'd say ten percent of the players on our roster are from the Atlanta area,
0: and they and where they're coming from while growing up. Now, some of these younger kids, it's that's just what, what they're people gonna grow do. Up. That's just yes. what people do. I mean, well, I. I mean, and then with them growing into it, being used to it, just being decriminalized as just a speeding ticket, right.
1: that's not as big of a deal to them when sure. in, in their everyday
0: life. Yeah, I think we have to understand the mindset of a 50 year old man who's putting these policies in place in their culture is very different from the mindset and culture and the experiences of these 18, 19, 20 year old athletes and what they've seen growing up and what's been acceptable. In law, and I'm not sitting here saying that it's acceptable. I, honestly, I, have, I personally have no issue with people smoking marijuana. I understand it's against the, the, the law. I understand there's punishment if you break the law because it is a law regardless of how misguided it may be or ridiculous I think it might be. It's still a law, uh, and you should get punished if you break the law because it's just a lack of personal responsibility. But you're right. These you guys right. grow up. These guys grow up, and where they're from and in their, in their world, there's there's really nothing wrong with it. And that's different from the world of a 56 year old man who's putting these policies in place. it's it's just it's kind of like they're bumping heads and they don't i don't think they're quite understanding like you said how the world has changed and how widespread marijuana use is and it's and i know there's there's been studies done we don't know all the long-term effects we don't completely know but that honestly that's the world these guys live in and just to give you guys some context it's only we in kentucky we're the only two schools that suspend players for a first failed drug test. We're the only two schools in the league. By the, well, the last time, there was a survey done of all the schools. Only two. There are multiple, as in more than two or three. Many schools that do not suspend for the first or the second offense. That's crazy to me. There's a couple of schools that did not suspend for the first or the second offense. That's insane. There's some schools that do not even, they do not kick players off the team until they fail their fourth or fifth drug test, which is crazy. So look at that. That's that's if it's public, right? That's that's if it gets out, okay? And all we do is hurt ourselves. It's it's right. We try to be our, holier, right. to be holier and, and than they, thou, and, right. but then
1: the fans and everyone gets mad when we don't win. But it's all our, our own fault if we're missing players. Yeah, you can say, well, they made the mistake, but at the same time, I mean, it, it even comes up in recruiting. Some schools will pitch you a kid, hey, you won't get suspended here. You can do what you want.
0: You and I know that for a fact. We know that that yeah. happens for a fact. Talking to talking to players that play have played and play at Georgia. That happens in the negative Yeah, I mean, day. I know
1: firsthand. I've talked. I, you know, I've, I've, know, I've known players. Yeah, we know and some guys. They'll say it. I mean, they'll say in recruiting that the other opposing coaches say, "Why would you want to come to Georgia? You do one thing there, you're suspended. I mean, here you can get away with.
0: And it. the cops target you. That's what they say. The cops target you, and you do one yeah, thing. and, and that's and, literally and you're gone. being
1: used against us. Yes. And then, and then when it does happen, because let's be honest, like we said, this is what the kids have done most of their whole lives. It's not just going to stop overnight. Mm-hmm. And then when they do get in trouble, we get very mad, and then we get upset when we go and lose games. But we're missing important players when it's, it's all because of our rules. And I think you hit on it right, too. But, you know, this happened recently. I was sitting there talking to uh, our, my grandmother and she's in her 80s. And, you know, this the topic of marijuana came up and they are definitely – her and my grandfather are definitely – you know? They're definitely against it to say that it should never be legal. It's one of the worst things ever. And, you know, us in this younger generation are starting to say, you know, I mean, there's worse things to, to going on that are legal. Yeah. And, and then, you know, that, and that's how it is with these people that make the rules. I mean, a lot of these rule makers are of the older generation that have such a negative view yeah. on it.
0: I, I, I personally do not partake in marijuana. Actually, I mean, I know you, no one's going to believe me. I never have done that in my entire life. I call me a loser if you want. I haven't, and if it was legal, I still wouldn't do it because I don't want to smoke anything. The idea of smoking is just not—I'm not cool with that. It's Just not for me. It's cool if it's for other people. It's just not for me. But saying that, while I don't—while it's not for me—I have no issue with other people doing it. I really don't. Maybe it's just because I've been around it more growing up as a, in in the 2000s, I guess, as opposed to like, like you said, your grandparents. But it's just you know, it's just different worlds. Um, but I will—it's—it's it's, our policy is self-destructive. It's self-destructive. No one forced us to do it. We did it to ourselves and put ourselves at a competitive disadvantage because we want to say, "Oh well, you know, we we uh, oh we have a we have a really tough drug testing policy. Oh, we're better than you. Oh, we're we're just so morally self-righteous right now." And it's like, what does that get us? It gets us nothing but losses. Okay, it's it's just self-destructive. And I know you're going to say, "Well, shouldn't we set the standard for guys to make sure that they're obeying the law?" I, I totally get that. I do. I understand that. But here's the thing. Okay. If you're going, I understand that we want to establish a standard that we believe in, and we don't want to stoop to the lower standards of other programs. I get that, okay? We, but don't you also want to win, right? You want to win. Is there not a happy medium? And here's the thing: like this drug testing policy, where we where we have that in place, right, to change behavior, right, like to, to make these guys understand you can't do that, and try and try to help these young men grow up and become, become better, quote unquote, better young men, right? That's why it's in place, right? Yeah. Well, has it really changed behavior? Is it working? Are guys yeah. not still getting suspended for the same offenses? Yeah. I mean, we just had Nature as Patrick literally pull over on the left lane of Clayton Street, across the street from Ellen Mushroom, in front of the lazy shopper, parked his car there, got out, to go get some rolling papers, came back in, cop saw him, and he gets arrested for it. Okay? It's not, I, guys are still smoking weed, okay? Regardless of what this policy is. Now, most of our guys do it. In, in an intelligent way where they're not doing a public and parking out in the middle of Clayton Street and getting themselves caught, but I, I really don't think it's changing behavior. And if, that's, if it's not changing behavior and it was put in place in order to change behavior to get players to do a certain thing, then maybe we should reevaluate and look at is there a more effective way to go about accomplishing what we want to accomplish. I don't know. I'm just, just putting that out there. I'm just putting that out there. So it, but it is a thorny question. There's a lot, I know there's a lot of different opinions on that. That's just, I guess, our take on it. All right, a couple more here real quick. Aaron, uh, appreciate the question. Aaron asks, Aaron asks, why on earth is Brian Harrion still getting carries early in the game and Holyfield is just getting carries in the fourth quarter when it doesn't matter? Kurt, can you explain that, man?
1: I can't explain it because I'm still baffled by it because I, Holyfield is definitely the better guy. Harrion comes in, makes mistakes, doesn't have great vision, and there's just no doubt in my mind that Holyfield's the better player.
0: Well, if you look at their, their stats in terms of yards per carry, it's, it's really not even close. Holyfield's been the more productive player when he's in. Now, you also can say, though, that Herring's seen time more so against the ones, the one defenses, than Holyfield is. But Holyfield's gotten in there a couple of times. And when he was in against Vanderbilt, He's still playing against the one defense. And it, was, it was far more productive than Brian Harrion was. Uh, the, I've been thinking about this question too because I don't honestly quite understand it myself. The only thing I can come up with is maybe it's a versatility thing that we think that Harry is a little more versatile and that we can use him in, out of the backfield as a receiver. We can, we can line him out there in the slot. Maybe that's it. I mean, is there any validity to that at all? Do you think so? I, I don't know, man. I don't know. So I guess that's the only thing I can come up with, but I'm with you. I, I think Holyfield needs to start getting more of those carries. And in, in, in the grand scheme of things that probably doesn't really matter because we're talking about the number four, number five back, but... I think, Holy, I think Holyfield should be ahead of hearing at this point, but I guess that's just me and you. And if you, I'm sure there's some other people out there, too. Clearly, Aaron th- feels that way. Last question here today is from Endure Inspire on Twitter. Appreciate the question, man. And another recruiting question here to end it, to, to finish this off. He asks, who are the likely impact prospects we can flip in the 2018 class? Kurt, anybody you're looking at there?
1: that is just uh, Otis
0: Reese. Yeah, that's the number one guy that comes to mind. I think that's gonna happen. He committed to, to, to uh, Michigan back in the summer. He's been here. Uh, I mean, I mean, I know he was here three times announced over the summer that we know for sure he was on campus. He's already been to at least two games this year. I think he has plans to come for another one. And uh, he has not been back to Michigan since he committed to them in the, at the beginning of the summer. So if you if you're one of the people that like to follow the visits, like I generally am, I think if you follow the visits, it gives you a pretty good idea of what a player's thinking. It seems like Otis Reese. Otis Reese is definitely trending our way, right? Yeah, and he's. He, and if you guys don't know much about him, he's a safety prospect at Lee County. Really good player. One of the guys could certainly fit uh, into Kirby's scheme back there in the in the secondary. Uh, one more player, Stefan Wynn, who it was kind of weird. Like when we first committed a couple months ago, we thought we were going to get him, right?
1: We were until like the David-
0: yeah, we found out, like, we hear, we hear, like, two or two or, like, a day or, yeah, a day or two before his think, commitment. Yeah,
1: pretty much he
0: just got the okay that Bama would accept his commitment. Yeah, I mean, because all we heard was Stefan Wynn was leading towards Georgia. Then, like, a day or two before he's scheduled to commit, all of a sudden you hear a complete reversal. And it's like, that's all Alabama. It's like, where did that come from? I, mean, I think you're right. Maybe he, uh, Bama said, Hey, dude, by the way, now you're a take for us. And he's like, Okay, I'm coming to Bama. But he's still listening to us right now. Uh, we're still on him. We're not giving up. He's a really good, um, I think he's, I think he's a body type for like a five-tech defensive end, kind of like a Jonathan Ledbetter is what he fits. That I think it's more of that profile. And, and those are very valuable guys to find. Kirby's also always been saying since he's gotten this job here, that we don't have a ton of guys like that. We have David Marshall, we have Jonathan Ledbetter, now we have Malik Herring that kind of fits that that body type. But we don't have a ton of guys like that are at least elite guys. And Stefan Wynn, I think has potential to be an elite five-tech defensive end prospect. So I think those two Odecherie, Stephon Wynn, probably the two guys to look at most closely there. All right, guys. Well, uh, that's it, man. We have just emptied out, at least as far as I can tell. If I miss any questions, I apologize, guys. Just let me know if I miss one of your questions, and we'll include it on the next edition of the Mailbag Show. Uh, make sure to check back with us later this week. We're going to have one more show for you guys at the end of the week, uh, and we're going to be doing our mid-season superlatives. So get ready for that. I think it's about time to do that. We'll also... Can't go without our picks of the week, man. I know we're not playing this week, but we'll be picking the rest of the SEC games, a couple national games as well. So should be a fun show. Make sure to check back in with us on uh, Friday for that show. But for Curtis, I'm Tyler. Thanks for listening, guys. We always appreciate it. We really do. And as always, go Dawgs.